Um, let's, uh, let's pray. This is going to be kind of a closing um, segment, and just to kind of land the, land the plane. Um, and then we're going to, we'll have some more time of prayer. I know a couple people didn't get um, a commission last night, at least one person that I can think of, and maybe others. <coughs> so um, we'll have some of that, but let's just pray. Father, this has been really good. It's been like really, really good. And um, we're grateful to you. Um, you've been, first of all, just meeting us, Lord, personally. Um, Lord, you've, there's been incredible fellowship and community here. Um, yeah, just experiencing that love for one another. Um, being with friends. Um, incredible times of prayer and worship. Healing, commissioning. You've been moving in the midst of your people. And it's been good. And we just uh, pray now, uh, just give us a good conclusion to this. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, it's funny, I was joking. I was serious, but I was joking. Or maybe I was joking, but I was serious. But when Gaylord came up, I said, we started with love, we're going we're gonna to end with love. And, um, and then he talked about how it's the revolution, right? It goes in a circle. And... Um, I think there's this pattern in church history of there are a lot of things at the beginning of the church history, Acts chapter 2, Acts 1 and 2, and, and those things are coming back, and, and it's, it's called a chiastic pattern. It's a pattern that if you study the scriptures, go to seminary, it's just something you start to, you, they say, oh, this is a thing. And it's basically like, it's like a triangle, makes a triangle, it's like an A, B, C, D, and then C, B, A, goes down the other side, and, and it creates this pattern. It's something God uses, um, and uh, lots of artists use it. In movies, if you'll notice certain movies, you'll, they'll start out with a certain scene or music, and at the end it'll allude to that again. And it's a way of kind of bringing the thing full circle. Uh, pieces of, like symphonies and pieces of music will do that, where they there's a sense of, of revolution, of completion. And God's a great artist. And so he does that in human history. He uses these patterns. And um, it's good not to get too hung up on it, you know. <laughs> we don't want to be too fine or too smart about it, but we can definitely see these things happening. And in, in terms of 10 days, I, you know, I've, this, this thought kind of occurred to me about a year ago, and now I'm kind of like, huh, I actually think it's something significant. Um, you know, the church got birthed out of the spring feasts of the Lord, right? Um, and, and Grant could, could go into more detail on this, but, you know, you have Jesus crucified on Passover, right? He's the, pass, he's the Lamb of God. Amen? And, that, and we see that, that the feast of Passover was really a shadow of something that was to come with Christ, right? And then we see um, there's a, within the Passover week, there's a, the Feast of First Roots. It's a, I believe it's the day after uh, the, the first Sabbath in Passover, which would be a Sunday, right? Always? Always be a Sunday. And, you know, we even celebrate that feast every Sunday, you could say. <laughs> um, it was the day Jesus rose from the dead. He's the 
He's the first fruits from the dead, right? So there's a fulfillment there, and there's, I know there's other elements too, but then you see the church leading up to Pentecost. Jesus ascends 40 days after he rises. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and we're in that 10-day period now, uh, in the church calendar anyway, that leads up to, to Pentecost Sunday. And um, on Pentecost, it was a celebration of the first harvest. It was also a celebration of the giving of the law, right? And uh, you see this amazing thing happens that Jeremiah 31 gets fulfilled and a new law comes on the day of Pentecost. It's the, the Holy Spirit. It's the law written on your heart, just as Jeremiah prophesied that that would happen. <laughs> I'm going to give you a new law. And it's, it's the new law. It's not like the old law. And it's interesting. I find it interesting at, the, at um, the giving of the law, when Moses came down the mountain, there were 3,000 who died. But at Pentecost, there's 3,000 who were saved. So there's the, all this richness of connection there. And, and um, as I think about ascension, you know, Jesus was resurrected for 40 days. There's a sense of completion there. And then there's these 10 days in the upper room. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he set off this 10-day period. And then, bam, you see the early church, which we're always looking back to that like, hey, this is what it means to be the church. Um, to have this kind of fellowship, this kind of community, this kind of manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And then as we look through the 2,000 years of church history, we see there's times where there isn't very much of that. (laughs) And the church looks very different. And now as we're kind of 2,000 years in, we see, you know, greater fullness uh, in some areas beginning to happen. We see things like um, uh, the... uh, out, you know, different revival movements and missions movements beginning to happen. Uh, you know, we see things like the Protestant Reformation bringing, re-bringing in great and important truths. The Bible and common people's language. Uh, salvation by, by grace through faith. Um, we see things like the, the Pentecostal movement, which has literally impacted almost every denomination in the world. It's not just quote, Pentecostal denominations, but, you know, there's there's hundreds of millions of people today um, who have been impacted by that, who, who speak in tongues or utilize other gifts of the Spirit. And if you had talked about before that outpouring, before 1900, there were very few. So it's clear God is, God is you know, bringing things back. There's this kind of sense of, okay, we started off here and now we're coming back. And um, it's interesting. It started with the spring feasts, and I believe these fall feasts like uh, trumpets, like atonement, tabernacles, are prophetic, speaking about the Lord's return. Um, you know, it doesn't take too much to, to look at the Feast of Trumpets and say, huh, maybe that has some... I've read about some trumpets in the Bible somewhere. Toward the end, I'm not exactly sure where. But, you know, and, and you have this sense of these feasts are about the, this days of awe, they're days of awe because they're about preparing for a time of judgment, right? And I think there's something about towards the end there's judgment happening. You know, there's this throne and good, you know, you know people, the, the sheep on one side, the goats on the other. And so there's this sense of, of these feasts, and, and Colossians even says the feasts are shadows of things to come. The substance or the fulfillment is Christ, right? 
So Christ is coming to fulfill something, um, but he's having us kind of act it out, I think, in advance. And I, I just think it's interesting that the church was birthed in 10 days, and then you have this 10-day period that has something to do. I'm not, once again, I'm not trying to get into real specifics, but, but that these three fall feasts have something to do with the Lord's return. They're prophetic signs. We're not going to get into a full teaching on that today. And I just think that's kind of a, a beautiful thing. There's a sense of it beginning in 10, and then this kind of 10-day thing at the end that's maybe, maybe tied into the Lord's return. And that's just, I just wanted to, to share that. I think that's kind of a cool thing um, that God is doing. 10 days, um, as I shared earlier, there's this sense of being connected to the, the uh, end of the age. The Lord said, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before I return. So Babylon, something that's talked about a lot in the book of Revelation. And I believe Babylon is the world system that is operating independent of God. Right? So it, it has many dimensions. It has economic dimensions. It has religious dimensions. It has political dimensions. It's, you know, it's all of these things. Uh, much of what we see, receive, hear in the media, you know, is representative of of Babylon, right? Uh, much of what goes on in our political systems <laughs> is part of Babylon. It's not that God never, isn't working or, or doing anything. It's just that these systems fundamentally are are broken, right? And, and, and in our financial system, as Greg was sharing, there's, you know, is this the kingdom of God? Is this loving one another as he has loved us? Or is this, you know, you give me, you give me what's mine or else I'm going to come after you, Right? That doesn't seem like very Christ-like. So these systems are, are built, they're refusing to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, like in Psalm 2. There's that warning to the rulers, right? Kiss the Son, lest you be shattered, right? There's a time coming when, when Jesus is not going to tolerate this anymore, and he's going to remove everything that causes men to stumble, He's going he's gonna to remove it all. And so the people who refuse to submit, if you will, or refuse to, and the systems that refuse to say, no, you are Lord, we'll do it your way, they refuse to kiss the sun. This is, this is Babylon, essentially. These are the systems, the rulers of those systems. But God is saying, my people will mourn before I return. And so, you know, when I heard that, I, I had a lot of questions, like, what on earth does that mean? Uh, what does it mean to mourn? And I had ideas in my head, and my ideas were kind of like, like last night Cindy had some travailing prayer happening. My ideas were kind of like 10 days of that. like, <laughs> Or just we'd be like, you know, on our faces weeping and, and uh, for 10 days. or You know, because I was just like, what does this mean? What does it mean to mourn? And uh, I'll be honest, I tried, I tried that. I tried to just like, you know, like, okay, we're going to be sad for 10 days. It didn't work out so well. <laughs> and uh, I think some, you know, God will give us instructions that are sufficient, but he likes to give us something that takes a little searching out. Like we talked about this last time that, you know, it's the glory of kings to search out a matter, but God's glory is in concealing something. So he'll reveal a little bit, but
but it's an invitation to take another step in. And then you're going to find out it's not quite what you thought. And that's the same with this word mourning. It's not necessarily what you think initially. And 10 days isn't a time for everyone to just, uh, you know, self-flagellate and beat themselves up. (laughs) I don't think that's what God's looking for. I think there's other dimensions to what it means to mourn. And I want to unpack that a little bit. If you have your folder still, we might have lost a lot of them, but uh, I'm going to just be teaching out of this uh, 10 days invitation passage. So mourning is not really an attractive word. Um, I think Americans probably know the least about mourning of any nation in the world. You know, like even like when people die, this is something you hear a lot. Oh, I don't want people to be mourning. I want it to be a celebration. It's like you died. Can we at least mourn it a little bit? No, it's got to be a party. I hear that like from, you know, all the time from people. And it's, I don't, I think the Americans are the only people on earth who would ever say something like that. So... (laughs) I mean, can you imagine, like, Russians saying that? No. You know, like, they've suffered so much as a people, like, and they they would never say that. Like, it's just, but it's it's part of the American, like, the upbeat, that can do. Even in death, we're like, oh, we're still going to celebrate. So, as Americans, I think we should understand we might be a little handicapped on understanding this word. Just from not having a lot of natural... Um, normal human cultural things to draw on. Um, mourning is something that, yeah, there, there is a bad kind of sorrow, right? There's a godly sorrow and there's a bad kind of sorrow. Uh, we, we don't want to draw people into like a depressive funk that comes from the enemy. <laughs> so I want to be very clear, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, I've had more than one ministry leader say, I love this vision, but let's get rid of the mourning part. Let's just keep the unity part. It's like, well, that sounds great, except it's not mine. I'm, I'm stewarding something, so we're going to have to keep mourning in. And I've said to God, like, you've given me this ugly baby. Who's going to love it, Lord? <laughs> I mean, seriously, like, can you imagine? I, I'm not trying to, like, make this a pity party, but can you imagine, like, you have to go up to someone and say, hey... I want us to stop doing everything we're doing for 10 days. Why? Like, what are we going to do? We're going to mourn and fast. It's like not a fun... You know, I'd I'd rather come up to people and be like, let's go on a vacation together or let's, you know, like, let's have a party together. That'd be be better. Yeah, let's go on, let's go on like a cruise. Let's go on a morning. Let's, a morning cruise, but in the morning, you know, like... (laughs) So... But God is looking for mourning. He is looking for it. Why is he looking for it and what is it? Now, mourning fundamentally is about something that we, we've lost or something that we lack. So it's about something you don't have. Okay? You don't mourn for someone who's with you. You mourn when they're taken away from you. Right? You don't mourn because uh, you have plenty of food. You mourn because your cabinets are empty and you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Right? Um, we mourn because of something we lack or something we've lost. Um, but here's the beautiful thing in the kingdom of God, um, <laughs> when you don't have something, 
recognizing that is the beginning of being able to receive it. Amen? So when God, this is how God works, He'll first give us a desire. And when you think about desire, when you have a desire, it's something, you, you don't desire something you have, right? You can't desire something you have. You already have it. It's fulfilled. So desire is a kind of mourning. It's a kind of longing for something else. And so in the kingdom, God works through desire. And so he gives us a revelation of what we're missing. Why does he do that? Because he wants to fulfill it. Okay? So desire is for fulfillment. Longing is unto his fulfillment. This is just part of how he works in partnership with people. He gives us desires and then he fulfills them. But, you know, it says, like it says, talking about the Laodicean church, like you, you say you have everything. And so because they're in that place of having everything, they're not able to receive. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So every time you hear the word mourning, I want you to think humility. And just think about it. This is a formula. If you want to guarantee being opposed by God... All you have to do is be proud. He'll resist you every step of the way. Automatic. But if you want to guarantee receiving the grace of God, all you have to do is be humble. So this mourning that God is looking for, the reason he wants us to mourn, to be humble, is so that he can pour grace. Does that, does that make sense? It's like he, he wants, and think about a whole city mourning. Why? Because he wants to release grace. It's like creating a low-pressure system over the city. Places with high pressure, you don't get any rain. Rain is a symbol of the grace of God. Places with low pressure, the rain falls. And so God is calling us to be positioned because he wants to pour out grace. All right, what kind of grace? What kinds of mourning? Uh, there's three kinds. One is personal. And it's it's... Uh, one, one word that I would call it is repentance, okay? Repentance is a kind of mourning. Um, when you repent, you acknowledge what you're doing wrong. That's one part of it, but you also turn and, and you start to do things a new way, okay? Just confessing your sins is not genuine repentance. It actually involves the whole turning and transforming, changing. Sometimes repentance can take a while, right? We know something's wrong, like Paul says, we keep doing the thing that we know is wrong, and then the Holy Spirit breaks in and we say, oh, okay, this is new. Now, I'm <laughs> now I don't even want that anymore. Uh, it can be a process sometimes. And so God is looking personally for the church to repent and be transformed. Um, I find, why 10 days though? Why take so long to do it? Why consecrate? Why set apart for 10 days? And I think the reason here is that if you go to 10 days, you go to a prayer meeting, if you're even, you know, uh, brave enough to get that close to God, to be in his presence for just, just a little bit, just maybe an hour or so, everything that's obvious to you is going to come up. <laughs> everything you already know is going to come up, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was wrong. I'm sorry. All right. Cool. Done. But most of the area for growth, for maturity in us, is stuff that we can't see in us. 
And if we're really serious about we want to look like Jesus, we want to be like Jesus, it is going to take a deep work, and it's going to take time. You know, you don't start... Can you imagine a contractor um, coming in and taking a look at a house? and Oh, you want to put an addition on the house. Okay, great. And then the homeowner says, yep, you've got a day. What would the contractor say? They'd say, you know what? I can't do this job. I'm not even going to start, right? I'm not even going to start the job. But what if instead of saying to the contractor, you've got a day, the, the homeowner said, how long is it going to take? Well, it's going to take three months. Okay, great. Come on in and start working. Now there's a, a place of readiness where the contractor can begin to work. And the Holy Spirit is the same way. He doesn't want to open up things in you that he's not going to be able to finish and complete. And there's some things in you that take more time. I'd compare it to 10 days isn't getting an oil change. It's not filling up your car with gas. This is like an engine overhaul. This is like God wants to take things apart, put them back together, and he wants to, to give you an upgrade. He wants to give you, he wants to give you a better car. <laughs> he wants to change everything. Um, and so that's, that's what 10 days is about at a personal level. It's about creating a space for God to transform individual lives through repentance. I'll share just a story last year on repentance and what this looks like. Because once again, I want to I make it clear, there's a dimension of Holy Spirit-led mourning, weeping, wailing, etc. That's like the heart of God where God gives us his heart for things. There's also a fleshly version where essentially we don't get God likes us and we're just beating ourselves up. We want to avoid the second one. We're good with the first one. Um, but what does this look like? So I'll give two examples. Um, last year, uh, 10 days, we were in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And there was a spirit of repentance in the room. And it was like 500 people. I don't know how many. Lewis would know. And there's this spirit of repentance. And I experienced it like this burning fire on my heart. And the fear of the Lord. I had like the fear, like I had the fear of the Lord. And I know other people did too, just it was tangible. You guys were there, you know what I'm talking about? All right. So I had no sins come to mind. I had nothing come to mind of anything that we think of as confession, repentance. I just had this burning. And the only scripture that came to mind was, cleanse me of hidden faults, O Lord. So I'm like, I don't know what God is doing with me right now, but I know I'm repenting. <laughs> But it was just like, there's was just this burning, spirit of burning. I still don't know what was happening, but it was really good, and uh, I needed it. Um, another example, uh, I was in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina a couple of years ago, and um, the Lord just starts speaking to me about hope, and he says to me, I'm, I'm giving you a God-sized hope. And I was like, Okay, it really impacted my heart. It's been a theme I've been unpacking for two years now. I didn't say, oh, I'm so sorry for hopelessness. <laughs> or I'm sorry for having a little hope. But it was repentance because God was changing my mindset. I had been unconsciously had a little hope. And God's saying, nope, I'm not even going to give you a big hope. You're going to get a God-sized hope. It's going to be huge. That's repentance. That's what it looks like. It was very gentle. It was very... Loving. There's also, when we know, you know, there's, there's all kinds of different manifestations, but I just want to paint a picture that this morning thing may not quite look what we initially, like what we initially think. Um, 
So another passage that's key. Um, and I'll say this too, uh, on, on what Gaylord shared, on personal repentance. This love thing is key, the loving one another as he has loved us. That's a key aspect. And, and think about what Gaylord's emphasized over and over. If we want to walk in that love, what's the key? The key is first we have to receive the love of God, right? So 10 days of receiving the Father's love, having it transform us, which creates repentance, and then we begin living it out, right? So that's another major aspect of this. And, and then there's just, you've been doing stuff wrong, you need to cut it out. God knows you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like what Suzanne did the other night. That was beautiful too. So there's all kinds of forms of repentance. Don't just put it in one category in your mind. Um, intercessory mourning, number two. So mourning is personal repentance unto the maturity of us as individuals. Mourning is also intercessory. So intercession is basically when you intervene on behalf of someone else. So you can intervene on behalf of someone else with God, intercessory prayer. Um, you can intervene on behalf of somebody else uh, with human beings, right, horizontally. Uh, we do it all the time. Hey, we, you know, I uh, just wanted to put in a good word on behalf of so-and-so. All right, intercession. Um, Daniel 9 is a great example of intercessory mourning. And uh, I'm just going to summarize it to you. Daniel's reading Jeremiah. He's in the latter years of his life. He recognizes in Jeremiah that there's a prophecy that the exiles are going to return to to Jerusalem and rebuild the city in 70 years. And he looks at his Babylonian calendar and he says, it's been 69. And so what he doesn't do, and this is interesting, he doesn't say, hey, God's got this. It's in his hands. He said 70. It's going to be 70. And then just go out and, um, you know, enjoy a walk by the river or go about his duties. He sees the scripture and it arrests him. And he recognizes this is what God wants to do. And it causes him to fast and mourn and cry out to God. Isn't that interesting? So he recognizes, and this is, it's humility (laughs) to recognize your role, right? It's not humility to abdicate your position in something. Oh, yeah, God's got it. It's humility to recognize your role. And part of our role as human beings is as God has given us authority over the earth, right? He called us to rule and reign. And so we need to step into that role and that's part of what intercessory mourning, intercessory prayer is, is where we intercede on behalf of the earth with God. He loves to do things in partnership with us. And so Daniel got that. He enters into mourning. He cries out on behalf of his people. He prays for God to release them back from captivity in accordance with God's own word. So God says something. Daniel prays it. And it happens. God tells us what he wants to do so that we'll pray it because the means he's ordained to do his will is through prayer and mourning and fasting, right? And so the promises of God are so deep in Daniel. He cries out to God, he repents, he mourns, and then God brings the fulfillment. And I think there's the same thing that's going to happen during 10 days in terms of the promises of God that he is about to fulfill.
We've talked about John 17. That's one area where we have a promise where God says, let them be one as we are one. As we've discussed, it's a prophetic prayer. It has a fulfillment. We haven't seen it. How is it going to happen? It's going to happen through people who are intercessorily mourning. God, this isn't here. This is your will. We're going to lay hold of his promises. And he, that's how he's going to fulfill it. It's going to be in partnership with faith, the faith-filled prayers and mourning and crying out of his people. We're going to recognize what we lack, right? We're going to look at the word. We're going to look in the mirror of the word and recognize, okay, this is not matching up. And that's going to create a cry. It's going to create humility. And then God's going to give grace. And then we're going to begin to move there. So we're going to have faith that it's possible, right? I believe you, Jesus. The church is going to be one. We're going to let the lack of it affect our hearts, impact us, humble us. The journey of going there is going to humble us too. And that's going to enable God to release grace to do the very thing that he promised to do. Does does that make sense? Uh, The gospel going to every nation, every ethnic group. A global outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Joel 2.28. Once again, at the beginning, there was an outpouring of the Spirit. I believe at at the end, there's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit. And then salvation among the Jewish people. The gospel started where? With the Jewish people, right? Salvation is from the Jews. Romans 9. And at the end, it's coming back to the Jews. In the middle, we had very few Jewish believers, right? We're going to have lots of them at the end. Amen? All Israel will be saved. But letting these things get in our heart. You know, Grant has allowed this this burden, the lack (laughs) of salvation among the Jewish people, among Israel... He's allowed it to affect his heart, right? And it creates this cry of mourning. I was watching him impart it to people last night. Every person, he's like in this like crazy weeping thing. I'm like, whoa, it's a heart of mourning. That's what we're talking about with this. That's what God wants to put in us during these times is impartation for the cry that God is going to hear and respond to. Um, And then finally, and this is really what it all kind of boils down to. Jesus is coming back. Amen. He's coming back. It's the end. It's the, you know, Jesus went up. What do they say? What are the angels? uh, Yesterday, Ascension Day, the angels say, He's going to come back in the same way you saw Him go. (laughs) So, Jesus went up. Ten days. Holy Spirit outpouring, salvation among the Jewish people. The gospel starts to go to the nations. The gospel goes to the nations, goes to the nations, goes to the nations, goes to the nations, goes to the nations. Oh, there's a lot of unity. Right? And now those, other, those elements are coming back. After the, the time of the Gentiles is complete, we're going to see these other elements. We're seeing it already. We're seeing salvation start among the Jewish people. We're seeing unity start. We're seeing outpouring of the Spirit start. But it's going to culminate and it's going to lead up to the return of the Lord. Um, We are supposed to pray for Jesus' return. The last prayer in the Bible 
is come Lord Jesus. Sometimes people think it's, they're like, it's weird to pray for Jesus' return. It's like, the Bible is weird. <laughs> it's like, God said the time is set. We are weird. I get it. I get that the time is set, but we're supposed to pray for it anyway. <laughs> the time was set for Jeremiah. The time was set for the exiles to return. It was 70 years, but it wasn't unlocked until there was prayer and mourning from Daniel. We're part of the fulfillment. We don't, he's just not going to do it without us. <laughs> he's ordained, we'll put it in like a Presbyterian way, He's ordained the means of us to f bring about the fulfillment of these promises. He's ordained prayer yes. for us. And it's, not, it's only going to happen according to the way He wants to. He didn't just insist on doing it. He insisted on doing it through us just to, to prove how amazing He is. Because <laughs> He could have just done it on His own. So we are to pray for Jesus to return. The Scriptures call believers those who long for the day of His appearing. That's part of our core identity. If you're not longing for the day of His appearing, there's something like off on the inside in terms of something. I don't know what it is, but that is just like normal, the normal reality of being a believer. So the church needs to understand this and get this. God is insistent on, bringing, uh, on, on getting married to a bride, on, on, on betrothing and marrying His Son, Jesus, to a bride who really is excited about getting married. Can you imagine if you went to a woman and you're like, I love you. I want to marry you. And she said, I love you too. But I've got a lot going on right now. And um, kind of maybe like a little like Gaylord with the... Yeah. <laughs> with the suitcase. Yeah. I'm thinking maybe in 10 years it would be good... Maybe we could get married then. Give us a little time to think about it. Because yeah. I've got some things to do. I don't want to waste my 20s and 30s tied down in a marriage. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the guy would run the other way, right? I would. I'm just saying I would. That would be a sign, no, this is not the right one. So desire for the beloved is part of the equation of the wedding day, right? Jesus is not coming back for a church that does not want to marry Him. He's coming back for a church that's burning with desire for this wedding. That's part of the purity of the bride. Is a purity of heart. Kierkegaard says, to be pure of heart is to will one thing. And God is longing for a church that's pure in heart, pure in desire for Him. So what is a heart of mourning? Have you ever really wanted something but not been able to have it? Like, not just, it was like a, almost like a physical need, you're like, but it's not available. That, that, is, that is the kind of mourning I'm talking about. It's this longing for, it's this desire for Jesus. You know, it's interesting, uh, it says in John 16, Jesus says, uh, it's better for you that I go away so that I can send you the Holy Spirit. And that's true. But when He sends us the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit in us becomes a longing and a groan for Jesus to physically return in the flesh. 
It's already in us by the Spirit, but for many believers, we just need to tap into that reality. And we need to understand, just like in Daniel 9, the longing precedes the fulfillment. Humbling ourselves, being humbled in this form of suffering. It is a form of suffering, I think. It's kind of a sweet form of suffering. Like when you're in love with someone, it's like you're suffering, but it's sweet. Oh, it's, ah, it's amazing. Right? So it's amazing. It's a sweet suffering. Absence makes the heart grow fond. Yes. But it is a suffering. Every minute you're not with them, it is a suffering. And that's what Jesus wants to unlock in the church during the ten days. Um, I've, I've listed on this uh, here a, a ton of scriptural support for this. This is so normal in the New Testament. And sometimes people are like, it's so weird. It's not weird. It's weird the other way to yeah, not want is. this. <sighs> I'm going to close. I'm going to close with this. In 2008, we were getting, gearing up to do the first 10 days uh, in the fall. Now, we had done it before in smaller groups. We were going to do it here in Northfield. And I was like, wow, this is the first time we're really going to see this set apart thing. And so God called me to do this fast and, and confirmed it. It was a 40-day Daniel kind of fast. And, and, um, and I just knew this was going to be about him imparting some kind of a longing. I don't know if I knew it at first, but it ended up being about him imparting this longing for the return of Jesus. And it was uh, interesting. It was interesting. It was weird. I'm going to be honest. It was weird. My prayer life consisted mainly of I would... Uh, like lie in bed because uh, I'd have these like I just took I took a lot of time during that time and knew God wanted me to take time to pray, pray so I had not taken summer classes I was in seminary and my work schedule was was in the evenings it was flexible but I would lie in bed and this groaning would just come over me mm. just just like this intense longing mm. and yearning and it would come over me for like hours <laughs> I was like God this is really weird I don't want to tell anybody about this. Uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, but it was just this incredible longing for the Lord's return. It just came on me over and over and over. Jonathan, excuse me, but you reminded me that um, Ben Bartleman at the Azusa before Azusa, mm-hmm. he would be lying in bed groaning and the walls of his apartment were so thin the neighbors asked his wife, is he okay? Is he okay? Mm-hmm. He was waiting for the Holy Spirit. Right, right. That's cool. So there, so there was this groaning, and I, I just believe, you know, that just came, and, and my heart was like being melted, and it was like, uh, Cassie and I had a long-distance relationship, so you know, we were apart. We were in love, but apart, and you have this like intense longing for the other. It was like that, just more intense and different, and but it was similar to that. It's the closest thing I can think of. And so I share this to say, I just think God wants to release that to us today. It's part of what it means to be the bride of Christ and to be preparing for his return. And I think just like Jesus said, wait, (laughs) wait in the upper room, right? Until I send the promise of the Father And so they were there waiting expectantly in the upper room for 10 days. And then the, you know, the father brought the fulfillment. I believe in a similar way, 
during these fall ten days, there's this sense of longing expectantly, this sense of I need you to wait. I need you to, to be in the place of prayer, in the upper room, so to speak. But except for now, you've grown from 120 to millions, hundreds of millions, billions. You've grown, church. But this sense where God is calling us back to the beginning, back to that place where we were born from. There's that phrase in the Song of Songs, take me back under the tree where my mother conceived me. And I just feel like there's that sense of God saying, come back to where you, start, where you came from, where you started. And we're going to bring you into this new era, this new season where Jesus is going to come back. I, re- I hope I'm making sense. I hope I'm not being too... I just feel like there's this connection there. I don't fully understand it. I'm not trying to make some new or weird theology. Um, or, but I just feel like God is calling people to pray during these days of awe for the same reason he called them in the upper room in the 10 days leading up to Pentecost. There's a correlation, a correspondence. And I'm just going to pray right now. Father... Just pray for an impartation today, Lord, of mourning, of longing, of desire, Lord, for the Lord's return, Lord, that that our hearts would be gripped by this reality, Jesus, Lord, that we would experience that bittersweet longing for your coming, Lord. Jesus, give us us desire for you, Lord. Lord, let us not say, oh, come back in five years. Give us revelation, Lord. Break away false mindsets. Lord, we're all waiting in the groans and labors of childbirth, even now. We're eagerly waiting for you, Lord. Watching and praying, Lord. We're longing for the day of your appearing. And even as we long for it, we're even hastening it, as it says in Second Peter. Lord, you said, when the bridegroom is taken away, then they'll mourn. Then they'll fast. And we, we do mourn, we fast, we long for our bridegroom. Lord, give us grace not only to do it ourselves, God, but to call others to that reality. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Yes, Father. Yes, Father. Hmm.